Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah And that's why they call me Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, your home for Montreal Canadiens news, information, and entertainment. Hosted by Matt Smith and the hockey writers Blaine Putvang and Treg Toxic Wilson. Our goal is to provide you unfiltered hockey discussion, entertainment, and sometimes bad life advice. And welcome to another exciting episode of Habs Unfiltered. Hello, Blaine and Matt. How are you guys? I'm fantastic. How are you? Oh, you know, I can't. Uh, I can't complain. I can't complain. Blaine, how are you? I'm doing great. I uh, turns out I'm not the villain, so I'm more than I'm no. Awesome. No, it turns out that I am the villain. I am the. Uh, I accept. I accept my role as villain. Um, I did my promo. Uh, I've turned heel. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'll accept that. Matt, you're still the babyface yeah. hero, so apparently I'm here to save the day or something. Yeah, I don't know, you but... are the uh, you are the Hulk Hogan to my Roddy Piper. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, so does that make me the weird manager that comes up from underneath the the, the ring and yeah, smacks you, Matt in the head with a chair? You're the Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yes. Unless, I want it to be Million Dollar Man, but I'll oh take that. well, or I was gonna say Freddie Blass, classy Freddie Blassy. Depends on how old school you want to get. Yeah, I'm already old school enough. I don't. <laughs> uh, so we'll start tonight with uh, the Claude Julian news. Uh, Claude Julian was uh, taken to hospital after Game Two with chest pains. Uh, it's not COVID related. Uh, but he will not be back before the end of the Flyers series. And uh, we all here at Habs Unfiltered wish him well. Uh, we hope uh, everything's fine. Uh, there was no further detail given by Mark Bergevin. He said he was not going to take any questions on the condition or anything like that. Uh, but it seems like he's going to be released and uh, he's going to go back to Montreal. And for the time being, uh, Kirk Muller is going to be the interim coach. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on this developing story? Um, well, I start off by saying, you know, I wish uh, Claude Julian uh, all the best. I know that he's definitely listened to the show. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in, uh, in all honesty, you know, uh, the, the best choice was to, uh, to put Mueller in. He's got, he's got head coach experience. Um, he hasn't been a head coach now since the 2013-2014 season. But he's been an assistant on uh, the Canadian the uh, the Blues and now an associate coach back with the Canadians, um, you know it was a it was a surefire thing. We knew it was going to happen. He's got some really good as, um, assistant coaches to uh, to lean on, and it uh, looks like he's got carte blanche to kind of do whatever he wants with the lines and run the team as he sees fit. Um, obviously, it's a big loss for the Canadians. I, I really do feel that uh, Julian 
outcoached Sullivan in the last round, and we've seen in the in the last couple days Pittsburgh's uh, GM kind of cleaned house. Let's just say that, and all the assistant coaches in Pittsburgh are gone. So we'll uh, we'll see what ends up happening. We'll see how much this affects the Canadians, or maybe it'll put a spark under them to to play for their uh, for their sick coach. Blake. Yeah, I'm gonna echo Matt's sentiment and send my uh, send my best to to Claude and his family. Uh, I know it's not going to be an easy time for them, uh, especially this day and age, the way things are going. Um, people are going to be even more concerned about health. Um, so, however long it takes for him to recover, just take that time and come back 100. Uh, percent I I also agree that Mueller is the obvious choice to replace uh, Julian just because he's, he's not an assistant coach. He's an associate coach, which I mean, I, I'm not hundred percent sure what that means when they, when they named him that, but apparently means head coach in waiting. Um, he's got the head coaching experience. He's been successful in the past. So we'll see what he does once he takes over, see what kind of line changes, if any, if any at all that he makes to uh, to adjust to the Flyers, um, yeah, I agree with the both of you. I think Kirk Muller was the uh, you know the surefire uh, guy to pick. He has the experience. He's the guy that uh, uh, you know not only experience as a coach but experience in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's won a cup with the team. Uh, there has been some grumbling about him being English. I think it's a, a little minority that's uh, popping up to say that. It's only on an interim basis, so I don't think anyone needs to really worry too much about the fact that uh, Julian is, uh, or sorry, that uh, Muller's taking over for Julian. Uh, right now, the best thing is just to hope that uh, Julian recovers quickly. He's going to get better. Don't forget, if he's leaving the bubble, uh, he could be ready, you know, before the series end. But because he's leaving the bubble, he still has to come back and isolate for 14 days before he can get involved again with the team or with anything to do with with the hockey. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm with you guys. Uh, let's just hope the best. I have, uh, uh, you know, lots of heart issues in my family. I know, you know, what it's all about for, uh, you know, the family to, to go through stuff like this. I'm not saying that's what it, the issue is. I'm not saying it is an issue. It could be something as small as just a little bit of stress, and let's hope it's nothing. It's just something minor that they're taking precautions over. Uh, until then, let's hope the team groups together and, uh, and plays for not just Globe, but plays for themselves and plays for the fans and plays for the city. And I hope this gives them that little extra step. Um, I'm going to, uh, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something that we, uh, that people should be looking at that little added motivation. Cause when you're, when you have some adversity, your coach goes down, he's, he's part of their, their tight knit group. Uh, so someone like that goes, it's like your, your uncle gets sick and, everyone bands together. So there could be a positive on ice outcome from this, or it could distract them and make it worse. We will only know once they play game two. Well, and that'll be up to the coaching staff to get them motivated in a positive way instead of a negative way uh, in regards to this. Um, uh, from, I've heard nothing but good things from the players about Claude. The players really like Claude. So, uh, yeah, I can see them rallying around and doing. Plus, they got good leadership in Weber. Uh, I just want to bring this up. An interesting story I read about Weber was about, I think I heard it from you, Blaine, maybe, about the equipment manager and carrying his own bags. Um, when he got to Montreal, the, uh, the equipment manager and the equipment guys uh, need to pack up, the, take the bags, put them on the buses, and get them ready for planes, buses, uh, to go br to uh, Brassard, to go back to the to the uh, Bell Center and all this kind of stuff, and uh, Weber noticed that uh, everyone kind of was just throwing their gear and in their bag and then leaving it and walking away. And Weber, just to show you the leadership that he has, he said, uh, "These guys got enough to do. I can carry my own bag to where it got to go." And he started just carrying his own bag, and now the entire team carries their own bag to where it has to go or puts it in the trolley or whatever it is they do with it so that these guys have an easier time moving the equipment. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good story and shows a lot about the leadership of Shea Weber. 
Anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was Gord Miller that shared that on yeah. TSN. Yeah. And when you think about it, that one simple act of maybe thirty seconds per player to just pack his own bag and then walk it over to the uh, the trolley. That, that makes a world of difference to the equipment manager and his staff because now when they show up at like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, you know they're not they're not putting wet gear up on the hangers at you know once they get back to uh, the bell center the bell center of Broussard. they're they're not moving everything around they're not having to pack it they're not having to move it so it saves them a half hour to an hour and at the end of the at two o'clock in the morning that's a big difference especially when you have to drive home so you can get some sleep so you can before you're back at the arena within six, seven hours. So yeah, especially if you have like a morning skate or anything like that, uh, that to do that anyway. I, I mean, we kind of got away from what we were originally, but I just thought that was a neat story about Shea Weber and where we talked about leadership there a few episodes, episodes back. I think that just shows, uh, you know, the type of leader that Shea Weber is and why he's so important to the team. Uh, now another little fun thing that came up, uh, as we record, it's Thursday, the 13th of, uh, August. Uh, Elliot Friedman in his 31 Thoughts podcast brought up the fact that uh, there's trade rumbles out of Pittsburgh for Max Domi. So there's there's interest to, uh, to get Domi into Pittsburgh, although they don't want to take on too much cap. So, yeah, we don't know. Well, they were after both him and Galchenyuk uh, before he was traded for Galchenyuk, actually. Uh, and uh, they not, didn't get either one of them. Galchenyuk actually got traded for Domi, and then, uh, of course, they got Galchenyuk later and realized that was a big mistake. So um, so it'll be interesting. That's interesting because uh, there's a lot of talk about Domi and how he's being used on the Montreal Canadiens and how that could be a factor into whether or not they're going to re-sign him in the offseason. Uh, Matt, you got any thoughts on this? I, I, think, I think Domi will be back. He enjoys Montreal too much, and he's been uh, he's been so positive about the city. Um, I, I think um, I think we're going to get into this later on and talk about line combinations and everything. But the fact that they are finally kind of starting to wake up and see that you know we got to get this guy away from Belleville, Weiss, et cetera. And uh, we saw towards you know second period on having them with Kakaniemi and Drouin, and the line actually started doing something and. Um, Domi played more than he played more than Tatar, and Tatar was you know the offensive weapon that the Canadians had all throughout the season. So I find that a little bit uh, of a you know uh, a noticeable point to bring up. So I think we're going to see more from Domi as the season as the uh, as the series goes on, and I think he's going to stay with the team. He just might not get a you know four, five, six year extension. It might be like a two year deal, but we'll see what happens. It's kind of interesting too because Pittsburgh has the fifteenth overall pick, and they, or I believe that's what they finished with was the fifteenth pick. Yes, yeah, so um, it'll be the fifteenth pick. Yeah. So if Montreal did decide to trade Max Domi, they could ask for that fifteenth pick, and that would give them the fifteenth and sixteenth pick in this draft, and actually make this draft a very good draft for them. Uh, it's just an interesting. You know, Elliot Freeman usually doesn't throw something out there with a little bit of a background to it, so it's an interesting tidbit. Uh, I personally agree with you, Matt. I don't think Domi's going anywhere. I think he likes the team too much. The question is, is is he going to want to get paid as a center or as a winger? And as much y'all going to want to pay him as a center or a winger? So that, I think that's where the well, it's where he wants to play, right? Is he willing to be a winger and be, be that become his permanent position? And if so then I can see a longer-term deal with Montreal. If he dis- if he demands that he wants to continue being a center and that's the only place he wants to play, well, then I can see uh, I can see Bergevin making the choice to say, you know what, um, we love you here, but you- you've been passed on our depth chart, so we'll trade you for another winger or, or um, possibly, I don't know, like you mentioned, the pick pick a prospect or a defenseman. So the options are there. I think if he chooses to stay as a winger, then possibly Tatar is the one that they, uh, they dangle because like you mentioned, his, his numbers in this playoff have not been good. Um, For zero. Yeah. And which wouldn't be as much of an issue. I mean, you look at Gallagher, he's not scoring, but he is, he's, he's Gallagher. 
He's doing playing Gallagher. He's playing yeah. his game. He's doing everything he normally does. And it's just not going in. So you can you can see the effort and the work uh, work there. Tatar, he has flashes where he looks like the Tatar of the regular season, but then he has other flashes where he is doing blind drop passes at the blue line and getting picked off for breakaways like he did in Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I, I, maybe maybe Tatar is the one that they dangle and not Domi. If Domi decides, you know what, being a winger is good. So and. Tatar is a UFA, so he'll be easier to dangle and easier to uh, yeah to get rid of probably at the trade deadline next year, but or even or even in November um, in the off season. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Uh, but I think it's a thing. Personally, to me, if Domi Domi seems like a smart kid, he should know that if he wants to stay a center, he's going to end up being the fourth line center in Montreal, and you, we can see what's happening to him as a fourth line center. He has no one to play with. Yeah. And it's really hurting. It's really hurting his numbers and his play. Because I don't think Domi really looks bad playing. He doesn't look. He just has no one to play with. So he ends up just circling around the offensive zone, either trying to find a shot or trying to do something with the puck, because he really has nobody else. It's to, kind of a one and done play with him because yeah, he's got no one. Yeah. He's got no one to dish it to, and he knows there's not going to be anybody in position. Yeah, yeah, and uh, when you watch him, you're like, oh, he's in the thing, and you see him skating around, see him trying to find to do something, but it's either he got to do it by himself or he just ends up throwing the puck in the corner. Well, look at the small play that he made during the Pittsburgh game, and this went unnoticed by a lot of people. When Byron scored that wraparound goal, Sidney Crosby was right there, and Domi lifted his stick. Yeah. And gave Byron the opportunity to get that second shot off and you know we 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 know what happened from there. There there's a lot of people dumping on Domi and Druin, but I don't think either one of them's really had a bad playoffs. There I mean Druin has a goal and assist. Druin is getting but, a hell of a lot better than what he was, that's for sure. Yeah, but I don't think Domi's playing bad. I just don't think Domi has anyone to play with, so he looks bad that's true. because he's that's true. It looks like he's just skating around with the puck and not doing anything yeah. because that's exactly what he's doing. Because he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't have anyone in position that he needs him to be into and he has about three guys on that line covering him and he has nowhere to go yeah because they well, know that they don't they, they know they don't need to put you know but well we got a double team to tire or a double team uh weiss because he's you know yeah scoring threat <laughs> yeah he's the, he's the <laughs> he's, dutch gretzky exactly which which kind of brings me to a segue to the line combinations we're kind of tiptoeing around it why don't we just ju- uh, jump right in and no. talk about the line no. combos Sounds so good. um you you mentioned it, Matt, that they made a, they made a lineup change in the third period. I noticed, uh, I made a I made a prediction before the first game that Domi is going to get moved up in the lineup and play on a an actual line with quality line mates. And it turned out it, my prophecy came true because they were desperate for a goal. Uh, Julian, with about five six minutes left, was looking at the score uh, the score, and it's two one for Philly and. Geez, what do I do? Oh, let's throw Domi on a line with Drew Wang, who, oh, let's let's be honest, he played a really solid game one, and and Kotniemi, who he's played solid the entire playoff so far, he's been very good. So the three of them together played five shifts, and in those five shifts, they created three scoring chances, and controlled seventy percent of the uh, the puck possession. The uh, the only issue people or anyone would have with that line is the defensive side of the line. Kakiemi is pretty much the only real true defender there. Uh, but I think Domi gets doesn't get a lot of credit. I think Domi's not a bad defender. Um, Druin, well, Druin's Druin. Um, well, Domi but, on the uh, wing is is okay defensively. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, I said this before the start of the Pittsburgh. T- line I put a bunch of line combinations together and I even stated you know a line my line was Suzuki Druin and Domi but Cock and Emmy Suzuki it doesn't matter both of them are playing a hell of a series both of them deserve to be the first and second line center I love what Claude Julian did with the Deneau Lekin and Byron line I think that's a perfect line to put up against you know Giroux and all you know the top line there it worked marvelously against um, the Mount uh against Crosby uh, when he did it, what, halfway through game three, I think he did it. And for that rest of the series, they shut down that Crosby line. Uh, 
and but I do like Suzuki with uh, uh, Gallagher and Tatar. However, with Tatar's play and stuff like that, I wouldn't even be against having Domi or Druin move up into that first line, f- then first line and move Tatar down. So you have Domi, Tatar, and Kotkaniemi, and Suzuki, Druin, and uh, and Gallagher, or swap Domi and 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 Druin. I don't I don't have an issue with that because Tatar's not doing anything. So here's my thoughts He's on cool. that. I'm gonna name. I'm gonna name. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it this way, instead of just saying you know, jumping from line to line to line. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna name centers, and when I name a center, you say who the ideal winger should be. Okay. Okay. Yep. So Nick Suzuki, I'll say Max Domi and Gallagher. Reason for that, you take you take Domi out of center, put him on the wing. He's gonna be hungry. He's gonna be playing with some actual players. You've got Suzuki, who's defensively responsible, and Gallagher, who's used to playing against a shutdown role, can still put the puck in the net. Okay, Blaine. Uh, Lafreniere and Capo Caco. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you took mine. I, I may as well make something up. Uh, I, I, oh, go ahead. But no, it's yeah, that line would would work, but. And this is where things are going to get a little different. But when with Julian, he has a formula that he follows with his lines. He likes he likes a two-way center. He likes a speedster and a shooter. So a, a mucker grinder, speedy guy that can that can go in the corners and muck it out and get the puck out to you. A two-way center to cover defensively and and create a little bit of offense. And then he's got one shooter who can who's got a good motor. And that's his that's his formula. He created that line in Boston with uh, with Bergeron, uh, Pasternak, and uh, and Marchant, and that's the formula he's following so far with his line matching here in Montreal. But now with Muller, all bets are off. Like, what's he going to do? Is he, he's not going to is he going to follow the same formula, or is he going to start doing what he was doing before? I don't think he's going to really sway that much away. I don't think he is either. I think. Julian's going to be like emailing in what he wants and Muller's just going to follow it. And maybe kind of like the coach in uh, major league in that movie, major yeah. league. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Julian's just going to, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe if it's stressed, they're going to say, you know what? You're gone. You're, you're stay away from the game. You know, don't even watch it type thing, but he'll listen uh, to it on a, on a transistor radio in his, in his hospital yeah. room and say, no, no, I'm watching Downton Abbey. I love this shit. Um, <laughs> But I think uh, I think Domi I think I'd match Domi up with Kotkaniemi, just for the simple fact you get uh, two guys that can take faceoffs on the same line. Kotkaniemi's faceoff still isn't above fifty. Uh, Dr- Domi actually is above fifty in this playoffs. Uh, you give yourself kind of a backup uh, to Kotkaniemi uh, in, on the faceoff dot, where Suzuki and Dano don't really need one. Uh, that's I mean, I have no issue with Domi on either line, but uh, with Suzuki, I would go with Druin and uh, and Gallagher, and then I would go with Domi Tatar and uh, with Kotkaniemi. Okay, I, I so let's so let's throw out What's that? I think they would be a very good third line. That would be an extremely good third line to match up with the uh, the Flyers' depth. Yeah. Okay, so we'll all be in agreement, give or take, that the Denoulekin and Byron line should probably stay the same. Yeah, that, that should just stay like that because that that's gonna go up against Drew, uh, Drew's line. And... Okay, I'll throw out mine for Kakaniemi. I throw Drew on one side and I throw Tatar on the other. Sure. Because Tatar would that, that, that'll work too. Tatar would get better matchups and maybe we'd he'd, we'd see him wake up a little bit because he wouldn't be playing against um, top six pairings or top six lines. So maybe we'd see him be able to uh, get open a little bit more. Maybe not have to make the you know the the desperation play as much get shots on that etc and um he's actually started to play a little bit more he didn't show it in the last game but um you know he's playing the body a little bit more and he's playing a little bit better defensively and everything and and as we said he's he, i said the same thing about Gallagher and uh, and Dino they're used to playing shutdown hockey against the top lines the guy can play defense as well yeah so you, I, I mean, right. So you throw Kakaniemi on that line with him, who's a defensive, uh, a defensive, you know, uh, 
defensive work in progress, but he's he's not that bad. And then it'll allow Drouin to, uh, you know, be Drouin. If he wants to, you know, cheat a little bit, he can, because he's got two defensively responsive, responsible players with him. Well, Kotkaniemi's just going to hit everybody out of Drouin's way anyway, because he was going around in the game one just throwing hits everywhere. So, I mean, I've been loving the evolution of Kotkaniemi. He's playing very solid both ways. Uh and, I mean, like, he's using the body, he's using his strength, and he's starting to win battles in the corners and on the boards. So, so, so this is the interesting uh, thing. We talked about, give or take, the top nine. None of us brought up Armia. So no. I would put, and you know what? And, and you know what? I'm, I'm not nothing against Armia. I just think that if they, for right now, to make the lines a little bit more fair, and, and and bring out those lines as we kind of threw out. Throw Armia on the fourth. Don't play him as a fourth. You know, play him out there. Penalty kill. Give him the time. You know, he's a he gets shots on Nettie at six in the last game. His last game was his best game in the playoffs. Exactly. However, yeah. change up who else you have on that line. Get rid of Belzil. Get rid of Dale Weiss. Get rid of Weiss. Dale Weiss played seven and a half minutes the last game. You can't have yeah. that. They started shortening the bench. Domi started playing a hell of a lot more. My fourth line, if he's healthy, throw Evans back in there. I like his game. He's hungry. I like him. I'd throw Jordan Wheel back in there. He can win faceoffs. And uh, I'd put Armia. So I do Evans, or, uh, Evans Wheel, Armia, or Wheel Evans, Armia. Wouldn't have any issue with it whatsoever. I'd go with Evans, Paling, and Armia. Personally. I don't think I don't think Wheel's going to be much different than Weiss. I think Paling's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit younger, a little bit faster. I I mean it. He's not going to be any worse than uh, Bazile. He's not going to be any worse than Weiss, Paling, Armia, and uh, and uh, Evans for me. I like Evans' game too. And if Evans is hurt, go with Paling, Wheel, and uh, Wheel and uh, uh, Armia. I, I mean I hate to 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 crap on Armia, but he you know he really hasn't. It, like I say, five games in, and his best game was his last game against uh, against Philadelphia. And, you know, it brings some balance to the lines anyway. we It's funny that we say that. When I'm looking at the uh, time on ice in the game, and uh, the only players that were used less than him were Bill Zill and Weiss. Less than Armia? That's right. He played 11-49. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because... He's just not – I mean, the guy can stick handle inside a small box. Absolutely, so, can. Absolutely. Uh, he's very good with the puck. It's just in the Pittsburgh series, he just didn't really do anything. And then he, he did get six shots, but he lost time when Domi got moved up. So that that's, that's what right. happened to him. Domi got moved up. And he he, he did. And, and he can yeah. he can be moved up and down the lineup as well. He can come yeah. out after a penalty kill or a power play if he isn't on the power play itself. He can still do power play time, penalty kill time. Um, it, you can you can shuffle him around a little bit. He can still get his 12, 13 minutes in. And, and let's not forget, the Flyers are a bigger, m- more aggressive team than Pittsburgh. So Armia's skill set is going to come in handy, especially if you want it to go be a longer series. So you're going to want to have him play a little bit more than a fourth liner. And... If I were to pick line mates for him on a fourth line, uh, I'd have to pick Wheel because he's the one with the experience at center and can win some face-offs. Uh, and, and on the wing, yeah, I'd like Evans and all, uh, but he's hurt. Um, I'd throw Paley in. He can play a north-south game. It's kind of like, uh, you know, he can model that game to, to Armias. Just keep it simple. Go north-south, throw the body, play the cycle. Kill time. The fourth minutes, the fourth lines out there to eat some minutes, and try and get the puck in deep, and just kind of keep it there and build some momentum. So, I, th- I just, think a line like that could do it. If they're going to continue to throw AHLers or fringe AHLers on those lines, they've got to use them sparingly and um, shift that extra guy, whether it's Domi still or it's Armia or Byron or Lekkinen or whoever and throw them on lines as when they can. Yeah. See, that's why I, th- 
that's why I think Paling and Evans should play because if you're going to use fringe AHL guys who, I mean, we might even retire after this year, throw the young guys in to get the experience, even if it is only eight, nine, ten minutes. And I, mean, I do underst- that, understand yeah. Brian Wilde always says, well, he needs the he needs the 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 puck on his stick, puck on his stick. Yeah, but he also needs to play. It's playoff experience. Uh, and, you know, if Paling and Evans can get playoff experience, even if they don't get the, the puck on their stick, give it to them. Well, there's they nowhere else to play right now. Deal. There's no minor league system. There's nowhere to exactly. just throw them in. I, I'm, I'm, that, was the, uh, that was the next point I was going to get to was give yeah. the young guys experience. I've been harping on this since uh, the play-ins began. Get yeah. as many of I, your I, young guys in. Like, Weiss is terrible. Um, we're I, I'm, we're going to get to the defense in a minute. There's only one line we have to talk to, one parent we got to talk to about defense. But get Paling in there, get Evans in. There. Even if you you throw them in on different games, like sore. Okay, you want Wheel in there for the experience and the and the and the veteran veteranship on that fourth line. Fine. One one game you have uh, Evans with Wheel and Armia. The next game you have Paling with Wheel and Armia. Like whatever. Evans, I think Evans is hurt, so I, I think Evans is still hurt. So he may not even really be in this conversation anyway, but uh, yeah, I don't think another, he's cleared. Yeah, Houdon's another option, but I think Houdon's too small for the series. Don't with you. Yeah. So nah. I think he's. I I, I think uh, for fourth line, Houdon's just kind of a waste on the floor. He's just going to be like wheel and wheeze, really. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his time with the organization is done. Yeah, I mean he's part of the Black Aces, but I don't think he's really gonna see any action I'm okay with that he's gonna be another Daniel Carr and he's gonna go to another team and everyone's gonna say oh we should never let him go because he scored and then we're never gonna hear from him again yeah I mean a Nikita Sherbeck he's gonna go to a team score in his first game a group of people are gonna yell oh my god we told you so and then they're gonna be like oh we're gonna shut up now because we're idiots yeah you played 19 minutes and scored a goal and then the next game played two minutes yeah, and then he got sent down to the minors, and then he got released. Then went to KHL Bam. and got released from there, and now he's training to hopefully get a job in Tier 2 Finland, I guess. Yeah, sure, as an equipment manager or something. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, there, were, uh, there was a group of people There was a group of people who thought he was the greatest hockey player that was ever going to play. But anyway, we won't get into that. It's true. Um, <laughs> well, we'll just move on to the blue line then. And, uh, I mean... If you've watched the intermissions on sports at night, you know, if you're a Habs fan, I suggest you don't. But because um, they still just they rattle on about the Leafs the whole time. So, yeah, try to I don't avoid know why that. they're not even playing. Yeah. Who won a series in Toronto first? Montreal or Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, about the blue line, um, the Canadians Trident uh, that uh, BXA named them. Um, Weber, Petrie, Sherrod. I mean, they've been the backbone. They've been they've been eating minutes. They've been they've been machines. Uh, Kulak, he's kind of grafted onto there, and he's done a he's done a good job. And in this series, I notice um, he was given more of a carte blanche to to rush the puck up ice a little bit more to make it take a couple more chances. You saw him uh, a couple of times. He picked up the puck, rushed up the wing. Uh, kind of did a wraparound. Did a wraparound. Another time, he he went in deep. He was he was fighting for the puck down in the corner, for some reason. I'm like, oh, I guess he's got uh, he's got the green light to go. So, Here, here's the issue with with Kulak in this series is he'll make 400 good plays, but his one bad play usually leads to a goal. Yeah, the second goal by Farabee. Yeah, he the second goal by Farabee. Yeah. Even though Byron didn't get the puck out, like that's. But it's partly on Byron because he had the puck at the blue line and couldn't get it out. But uh, and then he just—I don't know—he got puck watching when Farabee standing right in front of Price and Farabee took the shot. Price had the rebound. He was still watching the puck. So I don't know what happened there. But anyway, well, there was a comedy uh, of errors. There was about three or four things yeah. that happened before Kulak got beat. But Kulak yeah. instead, uh, he um, his mistake was just not taking the stick, I guess. He had body position. He was between Price and Farabee. Yeah, and the but puck he just was didn't there. Tie him up. Yeah, he didn't, he just didn't tie him up. up. No. He just he just stood there. So yeah, he got beat. I, and 
But that's my point with 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 Kulak. I think Kulak's had a great playoffs. I think Kulak has proved he deserved to be on this Petri, playing with Petrie on the top four in Montreal. Uh, but he just makes those like his mistakes that he makes, like the pinch in in the Pittsburgh game that led to a goal. Uh, his mistakes just are glaring when they happen. But that's they're the very thing when far you're, when you're a mobile very far guy. And in between. When you're a mobile oh, guy, I get you're it. Second pairing guy, you and you're playing up a little bit. You, you take chances. Sometimes you get burned on those chances. Can't all be PK yeah, Subban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he never gets burned on his chances ever. But and and this is the thing you you touched on it. Uh, Kulak's had himself a very very good playoff. Uh, yeah. He had a great series against the Penguins. He looked pretty good in that first game, except for that one mistake. He did look good, and I'm expecting him to keep playing that way. So I'm guessing. He uh, he has worked his way in to the conversation to staying with the Canadians, whereas someone like Victor Mete and Xavier Lachette, so the third pairing, uh, it looks like they haven't. Uh, <laughs> they're working their way out of the system. Do you want to talk first, Matt, or do you want me to bring the people the truth about Mete? Oh, God, All don't right. let the villain out. All right, I'll, I'll start. Vic- I'll start. You you start. So, or do you want to end this on a happy note? I don't know. Yeah. Any, no, you start. Not at all. Start. Um. So for me, I you know we brought Mete up a few times during our shows during the playoffs, and uh, it, he he really doesn't seem whatsoever that he's comfortable playing the right side. He's um for a guy that you know played with Weber, he's played with Petrie, etc. You know he was used for he, he did 13 minutes last night, and still hasn't taken a shot during the playoffs. Still hasn't thrown a hit during the playoffs, and he gave the puck away twice. If you can't trust your defenseman to kill a penalty, and you got a guy that used to play on a top pairing with a player like fucking Shea Weber, you probably shouldn't be in the lineup. And if he's not comfortable playing the right side, put somebody in that's that put somebody in that that is. And my suggestion. Throwing Kale Flurry, we know that he hits like a fucking Mack truck. You know what? Maybe he'll only play 13 minutes as well, but they're going to be a lot more solid minutes than what Victor Mate is showing right now. And I believe he's playing his way off the team, and Romanov's just waiting to take his spot. All right. When I speak now, I'll talk about Willette really quick. Yes, Willette okay. made a really shitty decision the other day by nailing uh, the. Uh, Nailing, uh, I think it was Grant, into yeah. Uh, into Price. Yeah, that was a shitty move on his part. However, he can kill penalties. He can block shots. He had six of them in the last game, which led the team. He threw a couple hits. One was obviously through Price. You know, I'll forgive him for that one. Price is okay, um, but he can play. He can play bigger minutes. He's comfortable playing on the left side. He blocks shots. He kills penalties, etc. I'd keep him in. Mete would be on the Mete should be in the press box. All right, Victor Mete. Here's the truth on Victor Mete, people. He was on any other team in the NHL. He is not on the roster. He's probably not even in the NHL. It's only because he's in Montreal, and he came to Montreal when they had absolutely no left-handed defense depth. He could move the puck and he could skate, and that's why he got top paired with Weber. He was top paired with Weber, and he's not even. He's not a top pair. He's not a top four defenseman. He's not. I'm sorry. I don't. I, I know people love him. I know people whatever, but he's not a top four defenseman. And he came in at a time where we needed a spark. We needed something on the left side, and he was a little bit flashy. He could skate. He could move the puck, and he worked well with Weber at that time. There's a reason why he's on the bottom pairing now. Uh, in these playoffs, Mete has done absolutely nothing. He didn't do anything in the Pittsburgh series. He hasn't done anything, didn't do anything last. As a matter of fact, he actually stood up to Hayes in front of Price, and Hayes barely moved. He was trying to clear him from the front of the net uh, in front of Price, and Hayes was, didn't even realize, I don't even think he realized some guy was hitting him or trying to move him. It, it, it just looked... Mete has his good points. He's a fast skater. He can he can move the puck. He can do whatever. You would think he'd be a perfect power play guy, but he's not even. They don't even want to put him on the power play. Um, 
And he's for this series, I guess, against Philadelphia, he's just way too small and way too weak to uh, do anything. And I agree. I think if you're going to... Now, Ouellette, I've been kind of defending Ouellette, but I'm only defending Ouellette because I think he's the better guy right now than Mete. Now, J.D. Larange made a good point on Twitter. He would like to see Mete play on the left side to see if his game improves any, and maybe he has a point. So his his point was move Mete to the left and bring in Fleury. Maybe, but I still think Mete's just too small to play against Pittsburgh, whether he's on the left or the right. And he does look out of place on the right, and he is playing on his wrong side, and he did just come back from a foot injury, so I'll throw all that in. However, if you can't move a player from in front of Price because he's too big for you, you shouldn't be there. Uh, I say I would even be okay with replacing uh, Ouellette and... Uh, and uh, and Mete with Alzner and uh, and uh, Fleury. Alzner's yeah, right. not in the bubble. Oh, that's right. He opted out. Shit, I forgot all about that. All right, we'll throw uh, throw Juleson and and Fleury there. You can't get any worse. Now, really. I I kind of agree with JD that uh, I think Mete would look better on the left side because it is a good point. He's not he's not set up for success playing on his off wing with Wadet, who's. I know he's got a lot more NHL experience than people give him credit for, but uh, let's be honest, he's more of an AHL defenseman. So why not move Mete over to the left side, bring up uh, Fleury, like you mentioned, and then it's more of a, it, it's more of the look that he had with Weber, but on a third pairing. And a friend of the show, Jason Paul, likes to remind everybody that Mete's numbers, his advanced stats, especially on transition, zone entry, zone exits, is very, very good. So if he is playing on a third pairing on his strong side and he has someone who's stronger defensively as a, as a partner, such as Fleury, who can clear the net, who can skate well, who can still move the puck, who play, defends well, then, yeah, why not? Give that a shot. I'd be more than happy with that, Perry. And, and like you mentioned, um, if you're playing two lefties on a third pair, screw it. Why not try two righties? Throw in Flurry and Juleson because the Flyers are a big team that like to play heavy. So you put those two in, well, it's like watching the Bash Brothers from, from uh, the Mighty Ducks. Do it. I, I'm okay moving Mete to the left and just to see if his game changes. And then give him a game on the left, and if it he doesn't change, if he's playing the same, if he's not hitting, he's not shooting, he can't move anybody, then, well, you can sit there and say, well, he played on his right side, and he played on the side he's supposed to play on, and he still didn't do anything. Let's move him out. I mean, I'm I'm okay moving either one of them, guys, but that, that third pairing has to change. Having said that, having said that, that third pairing is only a minus one in the entire playoffs. Yeah, it's not that so, bad of a pairing, all things that's, considered. That's right. But when you're playing the Flyers, you need you need a couple of guys, yeah. or at least one, who can defend Price, move guys out of the crease, because the Flyers are in his kitchen. That power play goal um, was, Voracek was standing at the top of the circle, Price couldn't see anything. The Farabee goal, yeah. he was right there at the top of the crease. So they're... They're an aggressive team that go right to the net at all times. So you want defensemen who can clear that area out. And, and you don't have that problem really on the top player. Absolutely don't have that issue. The second pairing, wow. Petrie's a little bit more aggressive than and physical than people normally give him credit for. Kulak isn't that bad. He, he's got decent size. He's not strong. He's not super strong, uh, NHL-wise. But he... Um, he, he he does well. He, he normally ties up sticks. Yeah, he made a mistake, but, I mean, come on. Everyone does. So that third pairing is the one that's been completely outmuscled. And, and this is an adjustment that has to be made. They have to fix that third pairing because, Pitts, uh, unlike Pittsburgh, Philadelphia rolls all four lines, and three of those lines are scoring lines because the uh, because Voracek, um, to get him away from the Deno line, that we were all discussing earlier, he's moved down to the third uh, the third line. So now that third line has Jakub Voracek. You need you need a third pairing that can meet up, keep up with him, and move him out of the way. Mete and Wadet just 
can't do that. They've also got yeah. um, James Van Riemsdyk, who can oh, who can who can play up and down the lineup. That was playing more of a fourth line role the other day. It's kind of it's kind of surprising because you know JVR is not a bad player. Like yeah, he's got some years on him, but this is a guy that can put the puck in the net. And you know, other than when Weber threw him on his ass, he played a pretty good game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, to change a little bit of subjects here, but uh, to go on about uh, what do you guys feel the Habs need to do more in Game Two in order to uh, get more goals or get more uh, play a better uh, offensive game i'll start with you blaine uh, on which question the uh, the goals or the defense the offense play a better offensive game like score more goals play a better offensive game well we touched on it earlier and that's put domi up the lineup because i feel that for the canadians to have a better offensive outcome they need better offensive players to play together uh, having three lines with guys who can actually score a goal every now and then, that that's helpful. Obviously, Tatar and Gallagher, I mean, I know Gallagher's working his arse off. He's doing absolutely everything. But it'd be nice if he can get a deflection or just a garbage goal, just knock in a rebound, something, you know, like a shot go off his ass, anything to uh, to reward him for the hard work he's done. And for Tatar, I don't know some kind of lucky bounce, you know, a dump in and goes off a stanchion and go changes direction. Suddenly anything to, to light a spark, get these guys going. They need to get going. They need, we, the Canadians need three lines with that can motor and actually get a couple of goals because the Canadians controlled possession in that game. They, they held the course before of about 55, 56%. So they controlled uh, after the first period, they controlled the game, that whole pace, the possession, the pace of the game. They had control, but they lack finish. So they need something, a, a lucky bounce, because at the end of the game, we saw Suzuki. He had that clear, clear open lane to shoot. He nailed his shot, and then he nailed a crossbar. And that's how close the Canadians were to sending it to overtime. That's the almost moment. So th- that's what they need for more offense. A little bit of luck and stack your players together. So for me, it's uh, it's just getting, you know, changing the lines up, as we said. Get Domi up the lineup, as Blaine said. Um, fix up that fourth line. Tune your third pairing for defense. And, um, you know, look for some garbage goals. Throw pucks on net. If you don't think you got a chance at something, it's not going to hurt to try to bang it off a body. It, it works. Crash the net if you have to. Um, something I wanted to bring up is what I'm noticing is when players crash the net, go for rebounds, whatever, there's a whistle, a quick whistle, whatever. I'm noticing that it happened in the Pittsburgh series and it happened yesterday in the, yesterday in the first game of the Flyers series. I'm finding that the Canadians really don't have too much pushback a lot of the time, depending on who's on the ice. So, like, if you've got Sherrod on the ice, you got Weber on the ice, et cetera, it's not, you know, they're going to be guys that are going to push back if it's around price. However, say you got Drouin, you got Byron, et cetera, and they're by the net by Carter Hart. And, you know, maybe there's a late whack or something like that. I, real, I, I noticed that the Canadians are allowing two, three Flyers players to just surround a Canadians player. And it happened in the Pittsburgh series as well. And it takes a while for someone to kind of say, hey, that's not right, and and jump in and actually do something about it. We saw it later in the series that it was more Montreal that was initiating some of this after-whistle shit to try to get under the skin of Malkin, et cetera, and it worked. So I'd like to see that happen as well. And uh, to increase scoring, we saw Shea Weber pot a power play goal which is something that we talked about and said that it needs to be better. Well, game one, score power play goal. And they had him on the face-off dot around, you know, the Ovechkin spot, and it panned out. And I think that I... power play worked out because uh, they stacked Petrie with Weber. And Absolutely. having the, 
and they had to respect Petrie's shot as well. So that kind of opened up a little bit of a lane for Weber. Yeah. They rotated around Suzuki, Petrie, and Weber too. Like they just didn't have Weber up at the point waiting for the big shot. Petrie, Suzuki was on uh, over on the on the uh, right side. Yeah, and then they kind of rotated a bit so that Weber could play down, Petrie played up a bit, and then Weber played up, Petrie played down, Suzuki went to the net. Like they kind of pivoted it a bit more instead of just, all right, you're going to go here, you're going to go here, you're going to go here, and now pass the puck around. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of more of a moving, fluid power play. Uh, my thing for their offense, they need to shoot more. Uh, they kind of did later on in the game, but I found the earlier on in the Philadelphia game, they were looking for the pretty shot. They were looking for the pretty play. They were look, you know what I mean? And I just felt they just Carter Hart gives up rebounds. Carter Hart's a good goalie, but he gives up rebounds. And you just got to, and, and I didn't find they were really going to the net. Like, uh, I don't know. I just found a few times there, like, they just, that I think they need to shoot more, and I think they need to be have more, more traffic in front of Carter. That that's that's my key to and puck luck. They had absolutely no puck luck in that game. Uh, Lekkinen had a two on none, and he fucking blew a tire. And you know Suzuki hit a post, and you know I think Lekkinen had a few good shots that just didn't. You know there's just no puck luck. That's all. That's all they need. I think uh, they proved in game one that they can. Uh, go toe-to-toe with Philadelphia and come out fairly unscathed, and that, that's what they did. I think they, they they proved a good point in that game, even though they lost. And I think uh, I think Kirk Muller's going to do his best to, to win, to get his team motivated to win this game for uh, for Claude, or win, try to win the series for Claude. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting series. That, that's all i got to say. Anything else? Anything else from you guys? Carey Price looked great again. Carey Price saved Suzuki's life. Suzuki owes him about a week's worth of steak. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't let your baby uh, baby Sooks get hit. That's that's not oh, right. What a save! But his, at first, I thought I thought he just missed the net at first until I saw the replay. Yeah, his strong play continued like the nine thirty six yeah. yesterday. You know the the yeah. first goal definitely not his problem. Couldn't see it, and that's how they're going to score goals against Price in this series. They're going to use their their size. They're going to throw big guys in front of the net like Hayes and uh, Couturier and, you know, Grant and, and Lawton and those kind of guys. And, you know, they're going to score those kind of goals. Another thing else they bring up with you saying they have no one to push back is even though Ouellette did push Grant into, into price, nobody really grabbed Grant. That's true. You know, like Price almost knocked, put, took his head off with his blocker. Because Price didn't realize that Ouellette pushed him into it. And I don't care what anyone says. I had a little bit of a Twitter argument with someone who unfollowed me because of it. And go ahead, I don't care. Uh, because he was like, oh, that that was a... He he, he accidentally, uh, purposely went in. I said, no, he didn't. He was clearly pushed in by Ouellette. Every replay shows that uh, Grant had no issue... No, there was no way Grant wasn't going into Price because Ouellette pushed him that way. And you can think what you want, and you know. Of course, he went. Oh, well, I'm a goalie. Blah blah. I don't give a shit what you are, right? Um, anyway, I don't think it was purposely on accident. Accident on purpose. I, I think he was pushed in by Ouellette. I don't think Price even realized because he was watching the puck. He didn't even see the push. And uh, but still, I still think someone. If Price is raising his blocker up to hit someone in the head, there should be someone in there dragging that guy out of the out of the uh, out of the net and getting ready to put his own fist to his head, personally. Now, if you bring that, in I mean, guys like Fleury or Jolson, they may be a little bit more motivated to do that kind of thing. Now, in, in defense, Sherrod or Weber were not on the ice, so maybe they Yeah, before someone brings ice. that up, right? Oh, what about Sherrod yeah. and Weber? Yeah, they weren't on the ice. Uh, I think it was Mete, Ouellette. I think it was Druin, the Cutnet. Was it the Cutnemi line or the Suzuki line? One or the other. They were in the middle of a change. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember yet. But anyway, uh, Weber and Sherratt weren't on the ice. Uh, but yeah, I, they need a little bit of toughness back there. That third pairing doesn't give them any toughness whatsoever. Uh, put Flurry out there or Flurry and Jules. I'm okay with Flurry and move Mete to the left. I'm okay with Flurry and leaving Olette there. I'm, I'm okay with either or. I'm okay with Jules in it there with either one. Uh, but personally, I think both Mete and Ouellette should be out. But going going back to the price save, that beautiful, miraculous stick save, 
the yeah, I know everyone's kind of joking. Oh, he saved Suzuki's life, like you you mentioned that. But I absolutely adored how Suzuki played and made that play. He threw himself into the fire. He didn't care if he got hit or not. I mean, he 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 buckled and turned so he can protect his face. Oh, but, I think he cared. Yeah, yeah, but you you know what I'm saying. He. He, yeah, yeah. he was willing to sacrifice to stop that from being a goal. And that kind of, uh, one, he was in the proper positioning defensively. Two, he recognized the play as it was being made and moved into the net to cover off. And three, he was willing to do it. So th- these, these little things all add up. And we're seeing... Uh, a, Suzuki's going to be a number one center, and we're seeing it build up in front of us. And that plays a, just a small microcosm of why Julian trusts him. You know, the whole, he doesn't trust young guys, blah, blah, blah. Well, he trusts Suzuki, and, and that proved why right there in that one play. Thankfully, he didn't well, get hit by the puck, but yeah. he, he was he was in the right positioning. So... That that's the point I want to make on that play, and it goes same goes with Kotkaniemi. I think this is why Ju, uh, Julian had no issue moving up Kotkaniemi and Suzuki to the first and second line. Uh, Kotkaniemi, like I said, he's starting to win corner battles. He's starting to play the body. He's starting to be that center that's playing that two uh, hundred uh, foot game, and he's playing it well. Uh, he's doing the little things right. Now, a lot of people look, well, he hasn't scored since, like, the second game of the... It's not always about scoring on whether or not you played a good game or not. Suzuki and Kotkaniemi are playing good games without putting a lot of points up. They're generating They're scoring the, chances as well. That's right. I mean, I think the power play goal, Kotkaniemi kept the puck in from going over the blue line. Uh, yeah. There's another goal in Pittsburgh that Kotkaniemi, they tried to get in, the, the team tried to get in the system, but they didn't. Uh, he again, he kept the puck into the zone, and he he made the you know, he 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 did the little things to keep that play alive. Um, and I'm gonna allude to Jonathan Druin here. People go at the first of the game, Druin took that penalty, which I'm still not quite sure if it was an actual penalty or not, and they scored on the power play. But no one talks about the fact that he drew the penalty to get the power play that Weber scored on. And he dug the puck out from under Carter Hart to get the puck to Shea Weber to score the goal. Um, if you're if you're going to critique a guy on one side of his game, then critique the guy on the, everything of the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Druin has been the best player on the Habs in this either series. But I don't think Druin's getting the credit he should be getting for playing a fairly good He's playing fairly good hockey in the playoffs. Yeah, but and, people uh, expect him to be scoring a goal a game or putting up two, three points a game. And if he's if he's not putting up those points, then he's a total failure. And and that that's the problem with Druin. And then people say, well, look at Sergachev, look at Sergachev. Well, how do you expect Druin, a French-Canadian in Montreal, who if he doesn't score at least a point a game, is getting booed by the – well, not he's not really getting booed by the fans. Again, it's a loud minority. Um and everyone's saying he sucks, he's no good, he shouldn't be here. The guy's getting 50 points a year playing in the lat- in the first two seasons, he got 50 points playing a considerable amount of time on the third line. That's pretty good for a third line winger, 50 some odd points. Right? I mean, and then this year, the Cavs were 11-5-3, and, and he was leading the team in points, a point per game player until he got hurt and broke his wrist. So, I don't know what more people want, really. They want him to be better defensively. He plays a defensive game, but he doesn't score, and people get pissed off because he didn't score. He scores a couple goals, but plays a shitty defensive game. People got pissed off because he can't play defense. Druin's one of those players who's going to be run out of Montreal because the fans are never going to be satisfied with no matter what type of game he has. See, this is why you're the villain. You you hate Mete even when he's doing well. You love Druin when he's not. I mean, you, people just hate I you. Never for said it. I loved him. You're, you're, oh yeah, you, you're in love. There's a man crush there on Joe. I know it. Uh, whatever, whatever. I, I just don't think he's playing bad. Man crush. I think now. I think Tatar's playing terrible. But anyway, you're just covering up another man crush there. That's that's <laughs> all that is. That's... My only man crush I have is with Matt's beard. It's the only man crush I have. Well, that Thank goes you. without saying. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it, Matt. 
Yeah, Matt's like the, I mean, Matt is the, we should, instead of putting the Habs on Fielder logo up, we should just have Matt's face. I think we'd get a lot more listeners. <laughs> well, you can't look directly at the beard because its heavenly glow would blind you. Well, it, it kind of blinds you a bit, but I don't know how people work. Oh, he has to wear a mask, so I guess it's, he's okay now. <laughs> well, they're just, uh, yeah, they're, he, he puts the mask on to hide the heavenly glow, but you can yeah, see it yeah. jutting out the sides. He's single too, ladies. Just throw that out there. So. <laughs> Jesus, what is this grinder? Oh my God. <laughs> Why was that not the right program? A binder. I don't know. I the S M N, the S N M version binder. The last time I went on a date, internet dating didn't exist, so I don't know. <laughs> you never went on a date. Your wife, you're a mail order husband. No, your wife would get something better than you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> By the time she yeah. sobered up, it was too late. Yeah. yeah. But, good uh, job. Good good job. Cup her drunk for three weeks, married her, and she had no choice but to stay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Typical well, that's sailor. A show. Yeah, it's a show. So we're done chucking shit show. at each other. Um, yeah. So uh, if... We never chuck shit at Matt. We don't chuck shit at Matt. We, we do. Just, we just emphasize... His beauty. The God, the, the creation that God made. That's Matt Smith. I appreciate that, guys. Yeah. Again, he's single. Number uh, <laughs> oh, four zero. So DM me. I'll give you his number. Yeah. Um, if for anyone that wants to comment or critique us, uh, feel free. Uh, go to uh, HabsUnfiltered at Outlook.com. Uh, you could uh, contact us at HabsUnfiltered. The DMs are open. Um, so if you have uh, suggestions for, I don't know, Matt's beard, how to groom it a little bit better, make it uh, make it even more heavenly, feel free, send those in. And of course, follow us, uh, follow us all on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, myself, Blaine Putvang, uh, at THW, uh, Treg Wilson, THW, and Snakebite350. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, so we're, we're, you can find us, you can find us. So you want to chuck shit? You want to, you want to just shoot the shit? We're there. Uh, so thanks for listening. And when we come back after the break, there'll be a little, little something extra for for Matt's fans. Can't wait. Do you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergie Arms. Bergie Arms will get you the gains you need. Bergie Arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need. Get Bergie Arms, Bergie Arms, Bergie Arms today. Not a real project. They make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man. Do not use, if you're healthy, if you want to loyalty, buy a dog. Support for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Big news! Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Myself, Treg, and Matt have all had trimming accidents. It happens. Every man has. There's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. 
Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. We here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.